Welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Joining me today is Emily Throckmorton. You might recognize that last name as we had her husband Lee on the podcast last week. Today, Emily and I are going to be discussing fitness and strength and conditioning considerations for adaptive athletes. This is something that Emily is very passionate about, and she has her own facility specifically designed for the adaptive athlete. So she offers a wealth of knowledge and insight and information today, and I know you're going to love this episode and learn a lot. Enjoy. Emily, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to work with you today. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on. For people who might not be familiar with you, or maybe they haven't heard of all the amazing things that you're doing with Kaizen Adaptive Training, would you mind filling them in a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So we are located out of Virginia Beach, Virginia, and my name is Emily Throckmorton, and I'm a certified inclusive and an adaptive trainer through the American College of Sports Medicine. And basically in 2020, I had the privilege of working out with a handful of wounded warriors who all had prosthetics and amputees and different invisible wounds. And I knew at that moment when I had a chance to work out with these guys that I wanted to create something very similar to what they were going through. So fast forward to today, I have my own adaptive program called Kaizen Adaptive Training. And this is located inside of our gym, Kaizen Athletics. So if the listeners unfamiliar with us. Um, we do have a gym here, an actual in-person facility. And then inside that facility, we have our program. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's uh, that's in the Virginia Beach area, if I remember correctly, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, we're just a few blocks away from the beach, which is incredible. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go down there quite a bit to do stuff. Um, my husband and I both worked out on the beach lifeguarding. And so a lot of our friends and family, they're all lifeguards as well. So it's kind of nice to have that close knit family there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I guess I should mention Lee is no stranger to the podcast. We just did an <laughs> episode with him uh, and we're probably going to be doing more with him in the future here. So uh, it certainly seems like the two of you are up to so many incredible things lately. Uh, yeah. you, know, you threw out the term and you know your business is titled Kaizen Adaptive Training. For those who might not have heard the term before, what exactly is adaptive training or what does that mean? Yeah. So I think it, it means a lot of different things to so many different people. And I think the adaptive community appreciates that term a lot more. I think back in the day, there was kind of um, not a good way to describe individuals that had disabilities. So when you kind of just use the word adaptive, you know, we're adapting for them. It's not um, as I don't know. I think people get caught up in unsure, like how to, how to speak about people with disabilities. So this is a good way to just say they're an adaptive athlete because, you know, at the end of the day, everyone that walks around or rolls around or crawls around, they're all athletes in some capacity. Um, it's just a matter of what degree, what category. So an adaptive athlete basically is an individual that has any sort of like physical or neuromuscular injury that maybe in a wheelchair, maybe they have a spinal cord injury, they're an amputee. Um, they could have an invisible wound such as traumatic and in brain injuries or PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. So there's such a wide variety of individuals that are living with disabilities. So we were able to come up with this term adaptive training because it gives these athletes an opportunity to have a category outside of sports where typically you and I would perform. 
So now they have their own category and they can perform in sports related activities against other athletes that also may be having similar impairments. And I think that that has been a huge step forward for these individuals because they haven't had a place in the past where they can go and work out, where they're working out with other individuals with similar impairments. Definitely. There's a lot of great things that you just shared there, Emily. To recap here first, I think you kind of allude to the point that um, words mean things. And if you use the wrong wording with the wrong person, you might get an outcome you're not looking for. Maybe that's, you know, with the way you cue an exercise, or maybe that's more along the lines of how you talk about someone and how you talk to them. So I certainly think that, you know, you kind of said it in a person first language. And I think that's important. You know, we have to remember that we're not working with a diagnosis. We're working with a person who has some type of diagnosis, but ultimately I don't think that should be a limiting factor. It's not what's happened to them. It's who they choose to become. So I think that that is a very essential piece. And I love that you brought that up. And I also think it's important to bring up, as you mentioned, the community focus of fitness, you know, when we go to the gym, or we work out, it's not necessarily just like, you know, you flying solo, like there's other people there, there's a community feel. And that's something we've talked about in past podcast episodes, Uh, John Hasdevac, and I did an episode a while ago on his gym, Chuck Walla, and they do such a great job of bringing people together. And I think that's one of the most powerful, important pieces of fitness type settings is the ability Mm -hmm. to bring people together. So I think that there is so much importance to choosing your wording carefully and also creating a type of space and environment that allows cultivation of a community type feel and fitness for populations where they might not have that in other areas. Absolutely. And as you know, as a, you know, a PT, when an individual comes to you and they have their acute injury, you're not going to, you say, oh, you know, this person has an ACL tear and I'm just going to just say, oh, that person, that's all that you can think about, about them. You know, there's so many other pieces to that individual. And the same thing applies to these individuals. If their spinal cord injury, yes, they might have a spinal cord injury, but there's so many other things going on that we can address at the same time. We're not just going to focus on that ACL for you, right? We're just going to focus on that spinal cord. Like there are so many other things you can do. And that goes back to an adaptive situation. We're adapting for that individual, for whatever they have going on. We're not scaling for them because I think that's a big piece too like scaling versus adapting. Like if you were to come in the gym and you have an acute injury of an ACL tear, I'm going to scale the workout for you, whether that's loads or reps or intensity, whatever that is. But if you have a long-term impairment, I'm going to adapt for you about how this is going to look for the rest of your life. So I think that's kind of the missing piece too, that sometimes a lot of coaches, strength and conditioning coaches don't understand. It's like, you have to adapt for these individuals long-term, not just from an acute setting. I think that's a great point, a very great point. And, um, you know, this is an example that comes to mind along that point on scaling versus adapting. Uh, Hypothetically speaking, say you're working with an individual who doesn't have arms, maybe it's a veteran or whoever, and they don't have arms. Well, you know, I might not be able to 
back squat them with a barbell, mm-hmm. but I might be able to get a safety squat bar over their shoulders and Absolutely. I might be able to train the exact same movement pattern just with a slightly different piece of equipment. So to me, that's where the adaptive comes in versus mm-hmm. the scale would be, well, we can't do barbell squats. So we're just going to body weight squat only Correct. A significant regression. Um, but I, I think we can do better than just regressing everything. And that, that is, it's, it's so nice to hear that. And it's very refreshing. It's like, we can do better. It's, it, it's so easy to kind of go the, the lesser route, which is, oh, just do an air squat for the day. Cause I don't feel like thinking about what I might have to do to actually make this accommodating for you or make it a challenge. And that's where the difference lies for the, for the 1% that actually wants to go to the gym and, and hit, hit the gym hard. And they want adaptations they are the 1% that comes into us. The majority of the people in the world, the general population, they don't really want to do the hard stuff sometimes, but there are the 1%, especially these adaptive athletes that come to us and they want to know what's after PT or after OT. Like they want that, they want that hard push again. They want to be in the gym again, and they want to have that camaraderie with other athletes. And we want to be able to give that to them. And if we were just to say, oh, go do, you know, a couple air squats in the corner, they'd be like, well, this is not really pushing me very, very hard. So we want to find different adaptations that are actually challenging them in those positions. So yes, if we have an, you know, a stroke survivor that can only use one arm, great. We're going to use a dumbbell and that the, the functioning side, and we're going to still have them doing front squats with a dumbbell. You know, there's so many things you can do. And that's why I've, I've really enjoyed being able to my, when I first started our program, it was a lot of bringing in athletes that were adaptive and I got to coach them up. And and then I had volunteers that came in that were PT students or OT students or med students, and they wanted to learn how to work with these athletes. And now our program has shifted to where I have taught these individuals how to work with these athletes. So now I'm able to create a program where individuals can go online and they can take our course online on how to work with adaptive athletes, or we have in-person seminars. So it's been kind of cool to watch that transition of at first it was just the athletes. And then it was, you know, training up these volunteers. And then now I'm actually training up strength and conditioning coaches, which is really, really cool to, to watch that transition. But there's so much that we can do with these athletes. Right. It's a ripple effect. You know, your actions are starting to impact those of other coaches. And as a result, you're going to have an impact on thousands, if not millions of athletes who, you know, require maybe a more adaptive setting. Um, But that ripple effect gets noted. And I think in general, it sounds like the theme is trying to make training more inclusive in the sense that, hey, you know, if I go to a standard gym and they have, you know, dumbbells, barbells, racks, all that sort of thing, that's great. Mm-hmm. But that might not necessarily provide for, you know, someone who needs slight adaptive uh, considerations. Sure. And instead of saying, you know, you know, it's instead of saying that's good enough, we're saying, hey, there's another way po- forward, another path forward. And sure. here's how we can do that and provide better for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's been really cool to be able to share my knowledge with other individuals that want to work with adaptive athletes, because it is really starting to take off, which is incredible. And I, and I love seeing that all over the world. Uh, we have either adaptive athletes or healthcare providers or coaches reaching out from Brazil and Chile and like the, the most incredible countries 
you know, which, which I, I never even fathomed of this life, but um, for them to be reaching out saying, Hey, I, I would love your help with either learning how to work with these athletes, or can you give me adapted programming? And to have that opportunity is, is huge for us. Um, so we really feel like we're starting to reach a lot of people like yourself. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so when it comes to the people that you're working with from a coaching standpoint, what kind of impairments or deficits do you typically see on the day-to-day, Emily? So when I started our program, my my specialty was a lot of amputees. So I they're kind of my bread and butter, especially anything lower. They were something that it was just very moving to me to see these athletes with blades on or no prosthetic and they're still getting after it. They're doing box jumps and running and they're doing all of those things that you and I would do. Um, but I would say fast forwarding to today, our program has led more to spinal cord injuries. So that would be majority of our clientele that we work with. Um, whether that's from a traumatic impairment, a traumatic injury, um, cancer related, um, medical complications, we've had a few of those, um, And then I would also say stroke survivors are a big one. So we have a wide variety of stroke survivors, spinal cord injuries, amputees. We have a handful now. And then um, we also work with individuals with invisible wounds, which I briefly touched on earlier. And those would be individuals that, you know, walk around and you would have no idea that they have internally a lot going on. Um, Us being in Virginia Beach, we have a lot of military personnel and they, they deal a lot with invisible wounds. And that would be along the line of a traumatic brain injury, which might be like a blast injury that you didn't know about. And from the outside, they look like you and I, they walk like you and I, um, typically they'll have an issue with gait and balance as well. Um, maybe where some sort of, uh, like AFO of some sort, like something to give them some sort of stability, But for the most part, um, those individuals we work a lot with as well. And like individuals with post-traumatic stress disorder or any sort of depression that has come from an injury, we work with those athletes as well. But um, I think where I've smartened up in this, this program is at first, I would say yes to everyone. Any athlete that came to me that had any sort of impairment, whether that was cognitive or physical, I would say, yes, come on, come to our program and keep in mind our program's hundred percent donation-based it's free. So these athletes can come once a day, um, for four days out of the week, uh, completely free. So it is obviously something where athletes want to be involved. They're like, yes, if I, you know, of course you take the financial barrier out of this, there's going to be a lot of people that want to be involved. Um, so I get a lot of applications for individuals with cognitive disabilities, and that would be more anything where they have a hard time with communication. They can't follow directions, all of those sort of things. Um, and that's where I kind of have to draw the line a little bit because it's hard to have a class, especially a small group class where you have six to seven athletes with, um, you know, spinal cord injury, amputee, a a wounded warrior, you know, individuals in their forties. And then you have a 20 year old with down syndrome who you have to spend a lot of one-on-one time that has a hard time with communication or following directions. So all of a sudden I had a group with way too many impairments and that was really hard to coach. 
So when I give people advice on like, how do you start your program, decide who your clientele is going to be or your population and kind of stay in that realm. Like don't get, you know, pulled in by the shiny things of like, oh, that's a new athlete. I have to say yes to them. It's like, well, at some point you have to draw the line and say, Hey, unfortunately you might be out of my scope of practice. Like you might have a nonverbal athlete that comes to you and and that would be out of your scope of practice. Um, as far as I'm concerned, um, I think for an athlete like that, they need one-on-one. They shouldn't be in a small group setting because you just can't give someone the same attention that you would give them if they were in a one-on-one situation. Definitely. And to add to that point too, there's a lot of knowledge that I think goes into working with adaptive populations. Um, So in particular, you mentioned that amputees are kind of your quote unquote bread and butter. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a lot of interesting biomechanical considerations when we start to think about prosthetic limbs. Mm -hmm. Uh, We start to think about where the amputation was performed, right? Was it below the knee? Was it above the knee? Was it up at the pelvis? Um, So there's a lot of different mechanical considerations. And at least for myself, I don't know all of them and Mm -hmm. I don't have them all memorized. And I'm probably not the best person to sit down and discuss biomechanical prosthetic considerations with as a result. Um, but you know, there's certain other individuals that I work with who have various impairments that I can Mm -hmm. probably provide pretty well for. So I think that at the end of the day, focusing on the quality of the service that you're providing for the person in front of you and recognizing that you just, you just can't be the best at everything. And that's very hard to admit, you know, it's very hard to say like, look, I'm not going to actually know how to work with every population, even though you might want to, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I certainly think there's a lot of value in kind of honing in on a certain population that way and learning a lot about it because there is so much more than meets uh, than might meet the eye at first uh, as far as depth of knowledge goes here. Oh yeah. And, and that leads us to when, when someone applies for our program now, I have someone fill out an entire application for it. So I need to know, you know, your background, your medical history, your medications you're currently taking where before it was like, Oh, Hey, uh, you know, can I bring my daughter today at four 30? And I'd be like, yes, of course. And then, you know, they show up and they're nonverbal and like, okay, well, I've, I've learned my lesson a few too many times. So now, um, we make sure that they go through this application process to make sure they are a good fit for me. And I'm, I'm very upfront with that, with other coaches that are coming to me for, um, you know, advice on how to get their own program started. I say, you know, stay within your scope of practice. And I think the same thing applies to you in your field as well, knowing where you need to stay to make sure that you are giving that quality care. And also knowing that at the end of the day, these athletes are very injured still. So as much as you want to say yes to everyone, understand that they are still injured. And, you know, we'll have, uh, I have a handful of volunteers that come through and help with our athletes. And I always laugh because they're always throwing them around and, you know, transferring them from the floor and we do sit-ups and push-ups and they're just kind of, you know, tossing them around. And meanwhile, the athletes, they're loving it. They think it's, you know, so much fun, but I have to kind of pull those volunteers back and say, Hey, remember these guys are still injured. So, you know, as much as they are, they're adults, they, you know, will let you know if something's wrong, you still have to be aware that within that hour, you have to put safety first for all these athletes. Um, but it is really incredible to watch them want to push themselves outside of that comfort zone. Um, especially for a lot of these athletes who kind of think that their life has kind of come to a halt after their injury. They're kind of, 
you know, they don't want, they don't have that drive anymore to really push themselves. They, um, you know, maybe the highlight of their day is coming to the gym for that one hour. Um, so having a place to where they can let loose a little bit, they can high five their buddy. They can listen to music. They can sweat with each other. I think that's so important as far as like a camaraderie side goes. Um, it's just incredible to watch these athletes regain their independence from lifting again, from squatting again, doing push-ups again. And it's not like the sexy things you see on Instagram. It's the, it's the movements that work. So, you know, the five functional movements of squat, press, push, pull, hinge. We like to make sure they learn how to do a heavy carry because that's functional, right? So those movements are ingrained in their heads. Uh, every time they come in, we, we just focus on functional movements and that usually seems to, um, take care of everybody. Definitely. And I love that approach and I love that kind of mindset and mentality because that's an issue that I'm seeing absolutely plague the, um, you know, the PT and strength and conditioning fields right now is, mm. You know, if I pull up Instagram right now, I guarantee you, I'm going to see, you know, PTs and strength coaches posting these exercises that are meant for eye candy. They're meant sure. to be cool and, you know, catch your yeah. attention, which I mean, I, I get it to a certain point. I'm probably guilty of it myself. We live in a digital age, but mm -hmm. that's not the kind of thing that's going to move the needle forward for people. Correct. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the most time tested and true things have held up for decades, if not longer, and they are doing functional movements, mm -hmm. aggressively uh, loading them or changing mm -hmm. slight variations of them and doing them repeatedly for a long period of time. You know, I don't have to go off into the weeds. I don't have to get super weird with my exercise selection. Mm -hmm. I think if you can do simple things ridiculously well, you can provide for a very good, you know, um, array of the population. And it's not just, you know, having a lot of tools in your toolbox, it's knowing how to use the tools that you have. So Absolutely. if you know how to take a squat and adapt it to a variety of different athletes and a variety of different populations and scale it up or scale it down, that shows me, you know, how to use the squat a lot more than someone who only knows three variations of it, but mm -hmm. those three variations of it are ridiculously difficult and going to get a thousand likes on Instagram, right? Correct. Like having the ability to not just own the tool, but use it in a variety of different manners instead of just like, you know, the one or two that catches someone's eye. Sure. And when you look at our Instagram, it is individual squatting and we're looking at full range of motion, full depth, making sure that they're moving very well with that or you'll see a, a spinal cord injury. If they can't squat their variation or their adaptation would be a dip because it's still moving the center of gravity. So that's their scale for that. Um, or you'll see individuals deadlifting. They'll, you'll see them doing pushups. Um, you'll see them working on, you know, if they can't pick up weight off the, up off the floor, you'll see them working on just like a hip hinge. And, you know, these simple things, that, like you said, they move the needle forward. They, they work. And I just wish that more people would understand that if you just progressively work on those movements, your athlete will do very, very well. You don't need all this other frivolous movements or these specialty movements. And especially for the adaptive athletes, they, and, and what I've learned from ours is it takes a very long time to go to the next movement. So if I have an athlete rowing and then I want them to do squats afterwards, and then, you know, maybe they'll do push-ups after that. 
it takes them so long to go to the next movement. So it's like, how do you program high intensity with making sure they're moving well and making sure they're doing the functional movement really well? It is very, very challenging. So if we have listeners that are like, I don't even know where to start with these sort of athletes, you know, I would love for them to reach out to us and we could guide them. Um, but my point being is you have to be very meticulous about how you program for these athletes, um, to make sure that you are trying to keep that intensity level up. You're trying to make sure they're moving well and that they understand why they're doing it. And I think that's a big thing too, is knowing the why behind everything we do. So education, right. You're not just coming in for an hour just so I can move you for an hour. It's like, well, we want to do this. So you're able to progress here, or you're able to go pick up your groceries out of the car and move them into inside your house. That's why we train heavy carries, you know? So there's a reason behind these functional movements. And I look forward to when the majority of the population thinks that's really all I need to do, you know, and then add weight progressively and safely. But for the most part, people get caught up in the really, I don't know. It's like these little things they see on social media that they think they have to do, right? The accessory work, which is great and it's wonderful and there's a time and place for it. But majority of the time it's like, well, can you even hit full range of motion in air squat? Why are you, why are you not doing that? But you're doing X, Y, and Z, you know, repetitively, if that makes sense. Um, so I think for us, it's just form and function over everything. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. On that point, if you want mind, Emily, walk me through kind of what a sample program or workout would look like for you with um, an adaptive athlete. And, you know, this can be any kind of population uh, mm -hmm. that you want to make it, but I'm just interested to kind of see what like a sample one would, would uh, look like. Yeah. So we focus a lot on, and I, this goes over for our, our gym as well for our able-bodied athletes, because my bread and butter is my able-bodied athletes. Like I, I run classes from 5.00 AM to 11. And then again, in the evening, um, and for them, I program, I program a week in advance. Um, and a lot of it is going to be, we're very biased to conditioning as well. Like being able to have a high heart rate and then pick up something heavy. I think that's like true fitness. And I think that's, you know, sometimes the missing link for majority of athletes, they feel like they either have to be the best weightlifter in the room or the best runner in the room, but we're just trying to meet somewhere in the middle. So we work on, you know, being a well-rounded athlete. So we focus on usually my Mondays will be focused on conditioning and mobility, especially for our adaptive athletes. And if you're working with adaptive athletes, I highly recommend this because basically the weekend has gone by and you have no idea what these guys or girls have done. They could have been sitting around in their chairs all weekend. It's like, why am I going to have them come in on Monday morning or Monday afternoon and grab a barbell and work on snatches? There's no reason. So we focus a lot on mobility and conditioning pieces. Like we'll do a lot of intervals when they come in, we have a handful of ski ergs and concept two rowers. And the wonderful thing about the concept two rowers is it actually breaks in half, which is really cool. So you can have your seated athletes roll into the, um, the broken in half rower and they're able to reach the handle a lot better. So that's a huge piece for us. And of course the skier is a huge a huge, um, conditioning piece for us as well. Um, so that's probably day one. And then day two, we work on upper body, like a lot of more like strict press, they'll work from the rig. Um, and we'll just try to focus on strengthening more of the upper body, keeping in mind that, um, a big issue usually for seated athletes is overuse injuries. 
And that could be for a stroke survivor too, if they only have the ability to use, let's say their left arm is functioning, their right arm is not. Um, if you're constantly doing stuff with that left arm, you know, you could obviously run into some tendonitis. You're going to have that overuse injury. And the same thing with wheelchair users, if they're constantly wheeling with their arms or they're pressing things overhead, you have to be careful of that, uh, that overuse injury for those seated athletes. So we keep that in mind as well. So, and usually when they come in, we always do dynamic warmups together. We always move together. It's not, all right, you go in the corner, do this, you do this. It's it's that group mindset, right? We've talked about earlier, the camaraderie, you know, they're talking about what they did over the weekend. They're talking about what medications they're taking. It's that community and that family mentality that we really like. No one's plugged in and doing their own thing. It's, you know, you're, you're in this together, you're, you're goal driven together. And then, um, and then we'll flip-flop. So then maybe Monday we have a longer endurance piece that I've sprinkled in some, um, lifting as well. And then maybe Thursday we'll have the lower half where we focus on more hinging and deadlifts. And that's a lot of fun because you kind of get to push the envelope a little bit with these guys to, you know, put them in the trap bar safely, or, you know, you have your seated athletes that you're able to use kettlebells and work up to a heavy kettlebell deadlift. And then once um, they're moving really well with maybe, you know, that kettlebell or dumbbell or barbell, then we incorporate into the workout. Cause like I said, it takes a really long time for everybody to kind of move in the same time frame. So if I get everybody on the same page with, Hey, all right, cool. Everyone looks good deadlifting. Now we're going to do a workout, you know, a, a, a 15 minute AMRAP or, you know, whatever it may be. I, Typically always would recommend if you're working with adaptive athletes, give them a time domain, because if you give them a rep to, or a, like a, you know, five rounds for time or something more than likely everyone's going to be all over the place time-wise because you have such different levels of impairments. But if you give everyone, Hey, you know, this is going to be a 20 minute workout as many rounds as possible, then everyone's going to finish together, start together sort of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. And the other thing that really jumps out to me too is, you know, you're talking about a lot of pieces of equipment that you use, but there are things that, you know, I'm looking out at, you know, our gym here and we have a lot of those things. We have a couple ski ergs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a variety of different weight variations and that sort of thing. And it's um, the other thing we have, and I don't remember if you mentioned this or not, but we have like those basic little ankle cuffs that you can uh -huh. throw on someone. Um, we've thrown them on individuals in PT clinics uh, that I worked in previously who maybe they don't have all of their fingers um, or uh -huh. maybe their hand, maybe they had an impairment with their hand, whatever that way. You can literally cuff that around the wrist and do all kinds of cable or band resisted bicep, uh -huh. tricep, shoulder work like really, I think the sky is the limit in how you can adapt things. And oh, you know, absolutely. Thing, as you were talking as well, I saw a few parallels between how you program and how Lee programs. As well. <laughs> you um, you know, I, I love, <laughs> I love the focus on strength because I think strength really speaks to the overall physical resiliency of someone. And I love the, the, uh, the emphasis on endurance as well. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the strength that we forget that, you know, there is the cardiovascular system. Absolutely. The cardiovascular disease impacts a lot of Americans and it definitely impacts the um, adaptive, adaptive population a little bit mm -hmm. more 
because they may have different barriers to sure. access cardiovascular endurance like the rest of us do. So yep. uh, I certainly love those points that you emphasize there from a training standpoint. Oh yeah. And, and of course, like Lee and I have the same methodology when it comes to programming, we're very similar there and it's very eye opening. And I'll be honest with you. It's, it's kind of fun for us. If we have a guy that comes in and this is more of the able-bodied athlete side of things, but you know, he'll come in, he's jacked from head to toe. And, you know, we're like, oh, you're, you know, he's probably a bodybuilder. This is going to be fun for us. And the second you put him on the, the echo bike or the assault bike. And, you know, we're like, all right, great. You're really strong. We're going to deadlift this 225 pound barbell 20 times after you get off the bike for 20 calories. And the time that they get off the bike and go to that barbell, which typically they would have no problem with, they are devastated. They're, you know, that, that cardiovascular endurance is just not there. They don't have the capacity to handle that. And so it's just fun for us to kind of use that tool as an eye opener. So not like a, you know, we're going to poke fun at you, but Hey, maybe we need to, you know, expand your bubble a little bit, make you a little bit more of a well-rounded athlete. Now, if your goal is to be a USA weightlifter and you're, that's your specialty, then great. You know, that's where you need to make sure that all of your, you know, your arrows are lined up in that direction. But if you're just an average athlete, like you and I, you need to be well-rounded that way. You're not completely devastated when you get off of a, uh, that conditioning piece of some sort. So yes, Lee, Lee and I have very similar methodologies there and it's, it's just a lot of fun for us, but it's, it's cool because, you know, if somebody were to come to him or I and say, Hey, you want to go do a 12 mile rock tomorrow? We would say yes. Or do you want to go out for a swim tomorrow? Cool. We will be there. Or, you know, well, let's go do a workout later. Yes. And the, 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 the idea here is no matter what is thrown your way, you should have the want and the ability to say yes to those things. Not, oh, I can't do that. Or, oh, my, you know, my shoulder hurts me, so I can't do this. You know, you should have those tools in your toolbox. Yeah, you're not going to be the fastest swimmer or the fastest runner or the strongest, but you're able to say yes to all those things. So, you know, it's just, it's fun for us to play with that programming because you can do so much with it. Right, right. It sounds like you're programming in general is focused on empowerment instead mm -hmm. of limiting, which I think is very powerful, especially mm -hmm. with a population where they're usually told what they can't do, or they're Correct. usually limited. So if we find ways to make it happen for them, I think yeah. that's very, you know, it, it, it has benefits that extend beyond the physical. Um, so from a facility side, say you're helping physical therapist or a strength coach who's designing a facility and they want to work with adaptive athletes, or maybe they want to bring in new equipment to an existing facility to better provide for adaptive athletes. What type of things would you kind of prioritize or where would mm -hmm. you begin on that? Oh, this is fun. It, it's a <laughs> lot of fun for me. Um, it's also a, a blessing. We have in our corner, a lot of physical therapy departments, the, all the local hospitals, they're very, we're very well known to them. So they trust us with their patients as well. And I think that goes a long way. So if you have someone that's interested in starting their own facility or their own program, you got to get your foot in the door with PTs, with OTs, with, you know, the medical side of things, because they're, you're going to be your best friends sending people your way. Um, but as far as developing the, the facility, there's a, a handful of adaptive online programs or, um, companies. So equip products is probably the number one and they provide nothing but adaptive equipment. 
So whether that's jump ropes for an, in, an individual who's a spinal cord in a wheelchair, they make jump ropes for them. Um, Concept two is wonderful. Of course, they have their rowers and their skiers and their bikes. Um, and then rogue fitness, they have wonderful bikes as well. Um, so I would say those are the biggest companies in our opinion that do the best. And, you know, rogue sets the, the standard very, very high for their equipment. Um, and then going back to equip products, they make everything accessible. So if you have a, a rower and you have an individual that is an amputee in the upper extremity or a stroke survivor that can only use one arm, they make rowing attachments that attach to the concept two rower so that you can still row with, you know, and this could go to your patients as well. If you have an individual who has just torn their bicep and can't row with that left arm, well, they can still row with their right arm because it has a rowing attachment to it. Um, so equip products does a great job with making sure that all their equipment is accommodating for concept two and also rogue fitness as well. Um, and then start small, you know, there's no reason to, and, and I've told this to so many people we've had, gosh, four gyms now, and we've developed them each time, but there's no reason to expand your gym or, you know, do more than you have to start small and make sure your, your gym is bleeding before you expand to a bigger facility. And I think that goes to any other person who's, you know, starting their own fitness facility as well is, um, you know, never have more than you need start small. That's, that's a big thing for us. Um, uh, but there really is a lot out there for adaptive equipment and equip products would be my first suggestion. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And to your point, you can certainly do a lot with a little. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just have to get a little bit creative. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's an uh, important point as well is while it's nice to have all these different bells and whistles and pieces mm -hmm. of equipment and machinery, that's not necessarily a requirement. You don't have to spend $150,000 to have a well-equipped adaptive gym. Sure. Yeah. Starting off with a rower and a skier and then that adaptive equipment from equip products, you would be golden to start off with. Definitely. I love that. I love that. How about on the knowledge side? Do you feel like most PTs, strength coaches, people that you've worked with that way have the knowledge base to really serve this population well? And if they don't, what kind of resources should they be looking for or mm -hmm. where should they be going to learn more? I definitely think that there's a disconnect between um, adaptive fitness training and a strength and conditioning coach or a PT or an OT. I think that what we're trying to do is bridge that gap as best as possible between the healthcare side to fitness. Um, and if people are interested in becoming an adaptive fitness coach or an adaptive coach of any sort, um, I would recommend, recommend them to our website, which is uh, kaizenadaptivetraining.org. And that's uh, a way that they can access either our Kaizen Adaptive Coach course, which is a full-on coach course that will give them the tools they need to work with these athletes with the broad painted brush of all the impairments. So we have, you know, videos, we have modules, we have education, and they are all tied to any impairment that you may see. Um, and then also we have different protocols on our website that is, Either if you just want to learn how to work with an amputee, we have a protocol on that, or someone with a neuromuscular injury or neurological, whatever it is, they, we have protocols for each of those things. So if someone's interested in learning more, because personally, when I started down this road, there's not a lot out there. 
Like, um, for instance, when I studied for my American sport or, um, my inclusive fitness trainer course through ACSM, there was no material on it. There was just a book and they said, good luck. And then you went to a Pearson center and took a test. And that was one of the hardest things I've, I've taken, uh, very sciencey, very extensive, very challenging. Um, and then there's a handful of other ones out there. I just don't think that they're very in depth. So we really went, um, on the other side of that and made ours very, very in depth, making sure that people knew how to work with these individuals. So that would be my suggestion. If someone wants to learn how to work with these athletes is to head over to our website and they can learn everything there. Definitely. We'll be sure to link to that course in the description below as well. So if you didn't quite catch that, you can just click there. Emily, I'd love to know too, since you've started working with the adaptive athlete population, has it been kind of as you expected it would be, or has anything kind of surprised you? What have you learned from working with this population? I I would say the biggest surprise would be the positive feedback from the healthcare professionals. I was not expecting that. I, I don't think, I think that, you know, I don't have, you know, I'm not a physical therapist. I don't have that medical history, that medical side of things. And I think I was worried at first that I would kind of get negative feedback from them, you know, saying, Hey, maybe you're out of your scope of practice or you're, you know, not staying in your lane all, or, or you're being unsafe. You know, I kind of expected that, but instead it's been the complete opposite where they're, they're calling me to say, you know, if we have like a mutual patient that we work with, they'll call me and say, Hey, just wanted to let you know that, you know, X, Y, and Z, this happened today at PT. Hopefully everything goes well at the gym today. Just wanted to give you some feedback on that. So they're communicating with me about these athletes, like these physical therapists are, you know, as they're coming in. And I think just that positive feedback, I just did not expect that at all. Like I said, I I expected the opposite. So instead they're sending us their patients. They have nothing but positive things to say about our program. They're seeing the benefits to these athletes. They're seeing their athletes being able to do things they were not able to do before. They're seeing them deadlift again or do pushups again. And, you know, in a PT setting, they're goal driven, of course, as we are, but their goals may be a little bit different than ours for the day. And so I think it's just such a beautiful mixture of, uh, professionals coming together to work for this one individual. Um, so that was probably the biggest surprise for me. Um, and then I, as this program has evolved, I would say that, um, I'm very proud that it's a nonprofit and it's, we're a 501 C three, two. So individuals are able to donate to our program so that we can get more equipment and modalities and, you know, maintain this program for free. But that was another surprise for me. The community has just gone above and beyond to donate to our program. I mean, donations that would just blow your mind. It's just, they they see the positivity it's done for these athletes and they really want to give back. So I think that's been a, a huge surprise for us as well. Um, but it's also a challenge for an hour. I get them every day and, and making sure that everyone's moving safely and effectively and efficiently. Um, at the end of that hour, I'm kind of wiping my brow to be like, thank God, you know, everyone left here with, you know, no aches or pains, but, um, you know, it's, it's not an hour of fitness where you can kind of sit back and relax. You're kind of, um, it's, it's high, high energy because you know, that they are injured athletes. And so you're, you're kind of on edge anyway, a little bit, 
Um, so that has been a challenge for me for sure, because it takes a lot out of me. Um, I've been lucky enough to have volunteers that help me with these athletes, but at the end of the day, you know, these athletes are still injured. So it does put a lot of stress on you. You know, imagine your day with patients all day. It's, it's, it's a lot because you're just wanting to make sure that they get a lot out of it, but then they're also not going to hurt themselves in any capacity. So that, that piece is usually pretty hard for me. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I think those are great points. And, you know, to your point on the collaboration model, I feel like that should be the standard. In fact, I don't mm -hmm. know why that's not the standard, right? Like, why is it that we feel PT, pyro, strength and conditioning, you know, ortho doctors, why is it that we feel that these should be all siloed? You know, Correct. in my opinion, everyone should be kind of collaborating, collaborating together because at the end of the day, the most important thing is the person sitting in front of us. Mm -hmm. So the better we can provide for that person, um, you know, the better off everything is going to be. So I love that point. And oh, I can't yeah. emphasize that enough. And I think, I think there's a lot of ways a PT could learn from a strength coach, a strength coach could learn from a PT. And you could say that about anything, you know, I don't mm -hmm. think, I don't think it's healthy to be siloed. And I think that we all need to kind of be a little bit more open-minded and learn how we can learn and work with each other. Absolutely. And I, and I tell that to gym owners as well, that, you know, there's six different coffee shops on one block that coffee shop should not be your threat. You know, it's the same thing with your gym. You should not be worried about the gym down the corner. You should be worried about making sure yours is the best. And then ultimately you'll do really well or collaborate with that gym and say, Hey, let's all do a workout together. You know, if you always are pushing people's businesses to the side or talking poorly about other businesses, it's just, you're not going to do very well for yourself. Like you said, you need to come together. And I've been very blessed to have that side of things going very well where, you know, they'll, it's funny. We always laugh because we don't have a HIPAA, you know, at the gym that doesn't apply. We, we talk about anything and everything, but on the PT side of things, you know, th there are rules and regulations that go into it. So when I have the physical therapist come to me, they'll say, Oh, don't worry. You know, so-and-so wrote, he signed off on this HIPAA, you know, I can talk to you about this and whatever. Um, so it's just kind of funny to see the difference in, you know, the more sterile environment versus a gym setting, you know, we're a little bit more low key. We let loose a little bit. We talk about things and on y'all side of things, it's, you know, it's, there's rules and regulations like there should be, but it's nice to be able to have that open communication with you all and being able to provide a great service for the athlete in front of us. Like you said, it's, it, there needs to be more of that. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I echo that point enough. Emily, as we start to wrap up here, is there any mm -hmm. kind of closing thoughts, closing remarks or anything else you wanted to share today? I, I wish that, um, you know, if, if individuals that are coaches that want to be in this realm, that want to work with more adaptive athletes, I would say get comfortable working with them. And I think that's a huge piece because a lot of people feel very intimidated. And I think that from our side, we'll get a lot of athletes that were sent from other gyms because their coaches did not feel equipped to work with those athletes. So you have to get comfortable working with these individuals and understand that injuries and impairments are something that we're always going to work with for the rest of our lives, ourselves included. So you just have to be okay with okay, I'm injured. How do I move forward from here? I'm not going to sit at home and, and sulk about this. You know, I want to be able to move forward. And I would say that's a huge piece for people to understand. Just, you know, put, put your big pants on and figure it out and, and understand that this is going to be something we deal with forever. So 
it's better to be more comfortable working with these athletes or working with yourself if you get injured than sitting at home and being like, oh, you know, you know the deal. When someone get injured, when they get injured, it's such a slippery slope. You know, they get depressed, they have mental health issues, they don't want to get out of bed for the day. And it's just like this trickling effect where it's like, you know, if you just come to terms with, yes, I have this ACL tear or I have this meniscus tear, but I'm going to spend the next eight months working on being 10 times stronger than I was before. So just changing your mindset is a huge piece for us and understanding that your mental health is tied to this a thousand times. So if you're having a bad day, if you're feeling low, if you're feeling depressed, go to the gym, be around people, and you will feel 10 times better when you leave. Definitely. Definitely. I cannot echo that point enough. And you know, going a step further on the mindset side and the physical uh, empowering and enablement side. I mean, the more we enable someone to do, I think the better they're going to feel mentally. Mm -hmm. And that kind of ties into what we started talking about with the importance of language, right? Finding ways to uh, empower people to do things instead of telling them what they can't do. You know, I think we live in a very limiting society uh, and just Overall, we like to limit people and like to limit things. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm just the eternal optimist, but I think I think we can do better in a lot of absolutely. ways for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm 100% on, on board on trying to make the majority of the population better. And I think we all are on the same page there. We just want people moving and feeling better and being stronger. You know, it's such a, a old school way of of thinking was, oh, I want to be skinny or I want to fit into this, and it's like change your mindset. Let's all just work on being the strongest because majority of the Americans or majority of anyone, they are under muscled and overfed a hundred percent. So it's like, we just need to empower these individuals to focus on being stronger, fitter, faster, healthier, and then everything else will come in line. I completely agree with that, Emily. Uh, for people who want to find out more about Kaizen or check you out on social media or that sort of thing, where can they find you at? Yeah. So we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook, um, both under Kaizen Athletics or Kaizen Adaptive Training. And then my personal is going to just be Emily Kramer Throckmorton. And we put out great videos on our adaptive page on ways that you can adapt for individuals with X, Y, and Z impairment. So if you're an adaptive athlete and you want to know how to, you know, do the rower, or if you want to learn how to ski or whatever it is, we put all of our videos online. So that's a great resource for individuals as well. And then they'll be able to access our email there if they have any questions. Perfect. And again, we'll link to all of that in the description below. That way, if you missed it, you can catch there. Um, you know, I'm surprised you don't have the MySpace page. Still. <laughs> yeah, that, that was back in the day, I guess. Do you still have one? <laughs> um, I made one over the summer. You can, it's oh, still active. Is it still, I didn't know it was alive. Yeah. yeah so wow. I, I made one back in like June, July time frame, And I made a big deal out of like, you know, I'm bringing MySpace back. So did it happen? Um, no, it hasn't, it hasn't fully come back yet, but we, <laughs> we, we have a couple connections. So a few people have jumped on. So that's awesome. Um, <laughs> But Emily, really appreciate your time and for all the knowledge and insight you shared with us today. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.